0: All right, well, as I mentioned, as you walked in, you should have received a handout. If you do not have one, please raise your hand and our ushers will be happy to give you one of these handouts. But uh, you'll see the very front, it has the word impact. Let me briefly explain this. So this is now my sixth year as lead pastor of Christ's covenant. I can't believe it's been about six years now, going into our sixth year. But six years ago, when I became lead pastor from being an associate pastor, Uh, I I brought together the elders, and we hired a consultant who helped us put together a strategic plan. And that consultant said, what you need to do is think about short-term goals. Because the culture changes so quickly, uh, think about two- to three-year goals at a time. And so what we did six years ago was we, we looked at all the problems, we looked at all what we wanted to do, and we came up with one word for those first three years from 2017 to 2020. And that word was revitalize. We felt like the church needed to be revitalized, re-energized. We, we needed the church to just get, it, get real excited and kind of pumped up for what God would have in store for us in the future. And by God's grace, we were able to not only grow our, our children's wing, which was uh, what was really declining in those years, but we also were able to grow the church. And we, we built a playground and we started a preschool and uh, we did a number of initiatives to help revitalize the church. Well, after those three years had, had come and gone, we felt as, as church elders and leaders that the church was in a pretty healthy place. It had been somewhat revitalized. And so we said, well, our next three-year plan from 2020 to 2023, we want to focus on a different word, not revitalized, but this word's going to be impact. We want to be, we want to be able to impact not only one another, but our community and our world, And so that's what this strategy is all about. It's that word impact. So if you look here on the back, I I have it listed out. The strategy, it's 35 words or less is what we were told to do. And that strategy is what we're gonna be referring to throughout the rest of this service. The ministry strategy of 2020 to 2023 is that we want to become a church that clearly impacts the community within a 20 mile radius through the following. Lifestyle evangelism, life-changing discipleship, multiple outreach opportunities, counseling and supportive ministries, and church planning with an emphasis on reaching young families and the non-Christian. The reason why we wanted this statement and to have impact is we felt like we were in a good place as a church to now go out more into the community because we felt like we were in a a healthier spot. And so as a result, we said, okay, we want to clearly impact our our community within 20-mile radius. The reason we said that was, I remember six years ago, I was asking people who lived in the Bearden area, who were living in Loudoun, who were living downtown. uh, We were talking and they were asking me the question, Seth, uh, where do you pastor? And almost nine out of 10 times, I'd say, I'm at Christ Covenant. And they would say, oh, where's that? What church is that? And then I have to say, well, we're, we're located across the street from the ice area. Uh, we're near that wine and spirits. You probably shouldn't know about that. But we're near there. We're near Walt Road. We're now across the street from Big Kahuna Wings. That's how I would tell people where we were located. We're out in Farragut. And, and then they would say, oh, okay, I think I know where that is. Well, as I was telling this idea to the elders, they were saying the same thing. They were saying, we're running the same problem. People don't really know who we are. You know, they do in, in, in this area, the Farragut area. But when you get outside of that, they, they really don't know a whole lot about us. The world does, but not necessarily our community. And so we wanted to, we wanted to come up with a plan where our community would, would really know who we are. And, and not just for us to say, hey, we're Christ's covenant. But we wanted to be able to say, if this church closed down, would the community miss us? And I believe 15 years ago, they would have. But now I truly believe, because God laid this on our heart, I truly believe uh, that we are making a dent in our community. And that's what you're going to hear all about in this service, how we're making a dent in our community uh, through God's people. And it's inspiring. And so as we want to reach this culture, we know the culture's changing. And we know that that a lot of young people are not coming to church. And so that's why we said we want to emphasize non-believers and Young families. And by God's grace, we brought in around 50 new families, young families in the church. And so that's exciting. Uh, But we also think that there are certain things we can do to reach our community within 20 20 miles and also to reach non-believers and and young families. And the first is lifestyle evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism, it simply means that you share your faith with people that you interact with on a weekly basis. Whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's at the gym, whether it's at your kids' sporting events, whatever it is, we all are busy, involved in many things. So instead of just going to these things, we need to now have a mindset of, well, how can I get to know the people that I regularly see? And you develop a friendship with them and you share with them uh, God's hope and, and God's word. And that's what lifestyle evangelism is. I'm pleased to say that last year, we created a curriculum, a a small curriculum to train you in and how to be a lifestyle evangelist. It's it's called lifestyle evangelism. And so far, we've trained all of our our elders and deacons and our staff and also some of our key Bible study leaders and some small groups in this material. And and I'm hearing stories of of people who are catching on this vision of, of making evangelism a part of their life. Instead of just going to the gym or or just going to their kids' sporting events, they're now going with a mission to get to know people, to share with them the reason for the hope that they have in Jesus. And so we can celebrate that, and we want to continue to build upon that concept of lifestyle evangelism. The second part of the strategy you'll see on this handout of impact is we want to create a culture of life-changing discipleship. Jesus told us as a church that we are to have a commission, and that is to go and make disciples of all nations, which means we don't just reach non-believers and tell them about Jesus and just kind of leave them, leave them to be, but once they're changed by Jesus Christ, then we walk alongside of them and we teach them the word of God, and we teach them what, what God wants for their life and how he wants them to live and, and what he wants them to believe. That's what life-changing discipleship is, where one person will come alongside another or even a group of people and teach them God's word and God's ways. And I've created The Disciple. It's a curriculum which are instructions on the Christian faith. And it focuses on those three things of our mission statement, of how we want our people to know the truth. So there's one section in here that talks about the truth, the essentials of the faith. The second part is to, to teach people to love Jesus and love one another. The second part of this curriculum talks about that. How do you love Jesus with your heart and how do you love others? And then the third part is, how do you serve people everywhere? The third part of this curriculum is, how do you serve people? And, and what are some ways that we can serve? And I'm pleased to say our goal was to take 10% of our people through this curriculum. And by God's grace, we've been able to take 72 of our people through this curriculum the past two years, which exceeds our goal of of what we have in store. And and those 72 include, we have every elder now discipling a young man. Uh, We also have uh, a lot of women who are discipling other women. And I'm encouraged to say this has now gone outside of these walls and CARM now has this program and they're discipling 12 people through this material at CARM Ministries, those who are fighting homelessness. And so many of you are a part of that discipleship process over at CARM. What I want to do is just share with you a video from two of our very own members who are going through this study, but also experiencing life-changing discipleship. And we're going to hear from these two ladies now.
1: You know, discipleship is not something that you do by accident, it's a big commitment. Let me start off by asking you, what led you to get involved in discipleship?
2: I am a busy woman, children at home and in a career. Over the years, I realized that I was not taking time to dig deep into my Christian faith. I felt like getting involved with someone else guiding me along the way would make me more accountable. You know, I didn't know exactly what I was getting myself into. I had an idea, but that accountability really was what helped me to carve out some time every week to to really dig deeply into our topic for that week so you were longing for more yes i was longing for
1: more that's great i'm glad you were thirsty for that (laughs)
2: well what were your expectations what were you thinking discipleship would be like so a lot of the things that i was expecting did happen but um but i also learned that you know it's it's about my relationship with the holy spirit um and there weren't such black and white answers to some of the things that i wanted to know but i had to discipline myself, or condition myself, or get into um, His Word to really find the answers that I was looking for. It was life-changing. The things I learned from these studies just have turned me around completely From from the trajectory that I was on with my Christian faith. I learned so much.
1: So what's different about your life now? Well,
2: that's a great question. So I pray daily. And um, before my feet touch the floor, I, I have a conversation with God, and I can really feel the Holy Spirit moving in me and in my family. And my day is not complete if I've not followed through with um, some of the things that I've grown in the habit of doing. One thing that I have um, struggled with in the past is really standing up for my own faith. Once you Um, have that confidence or belief then you're naturally working for Christ so that was probably one thing that I walked away with that you know I have more confidence in sharing my faith Um, there's just there were so many things that I learned that I just did not know the small details about that. I felt like I had a general knowledge, but digging deep into the studies really helped me get that foundation solid. Okay. Although it'll never be perfectly solid. Oh, I know no, there's so not. much more to learn.
1: Right, right, it's a journey. Discipleship yes. is a journey. It's a lifetime journey. It's God's idea, it's His game plan. It's Holy Spirit living in us that enables us to grow, become more like Jesus and eventually then to share and to multiply. What one thing that I've learned through discipleship as as I've gone through it myself is that our main focus has to be on whom we serve, not on our activity. But as long as we're focusing on whom we serve, God's gonna do the work. And we're blessed for it. And I can already see, I worked I got the privilege of working with you in Sunday school. I uh, appreciate you asking me to to assist you that first week. And uh, And and you're going to be a blessing. You already are to those kids. And so, uh, keep up the good work. I'm proud of you. And I love you.
0: Please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. I'll be preaching from Jeremiah chapter 29 this morning. Jeremiah 21 verses 1. through seven. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, The eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The letter said these words, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, So let's suppose that I had just visited a friend and I was drinking a Coke Zero, which is my Coke of choice. And I'm drinking it in a can and I'm done with it and I'm leaving his house and I'm about to get in my car and I just get this empty can and toss it on their lawn. And my friend sees me do it and he he says, Seth, are, are you gonna leave it there? And I respond by saying, well, yeah. After all, this isn't my yard. Is that the right perspective I should have? No, of course not. But as I think about it, I think about how this is a similar attitude that we as Christians must avoid in thinking. Because after all, we know that this world that we live in is not really our home in the sense of it's not our eternal home. We know that heaven is waiting for us and that is our home But this world-riving, we're just kind of passing through. This is our our temporary home, and so should we even take the time to invest in it and take care of it? Uh, Throughout scriptures, we're reminded of this this idea that we are merely passing through and and that heaven is waiting for us. I think about 1 Peter 2.11 where Peter told the believers of the day, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage against your, against your soul. He's saying here, you are a believer living in exile. You're like strangers living in a foreign land. 2 Corinthians 5:8. yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Our home is in heaven and is not necessarily here. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 Paul said but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ our citizenship is in heaven it's not necessarily here right I often think about the modern contemporary Christian songs that you hear about that remind us of this idea of heaven being our home Chris Tomlin I'm going home where the streets are golden I think about Ladder 49's song that said, all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. Now, although there is an element of truth to these, obviously there's truth in the passages and truth to the song, that yes, we are passing through and we are like strangers in a foreign land and heaven is our eternal home. Should we have the mindset of, like me being at my friend's house and tossing an empty can on his yard and saying, that's not my problem, this isn't my home. No, we shouldn't have that mindset. But instead, we should have the mindset of, this is where God has me temporarily for a season and for this time, and I should make every opportunity to help make this not only my home, but to make this place even better in which I live. That's what Jeremiah 29 is all about. Jeremiah 29 was a letter written by a prophet to a people who were living in a strange and foreign land, and he was reminding them to settle down and make it their home and to make the most of the opportunity that God had for them. In verse 4, we read that thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The context of the day, of Jeremiah's day, when he wrote these words was in around 597 BC, you had this strong Babylonian king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was over the nation of Babylon, and he wanted to dominate empires and nations and he he focused in on jerusalem and on the people of god and the israelites and and he and he wanted to go into to israel and he wanted to not only invade it but he wanted to conquer it and in 597 bc what did nebuchadnezzar do but he came in and he intimidated the king of israel uh, jeconiah and he said You need to be under my authority and control. And Jeconiah said, oh no, like a little school kid, he's afraid. He said, oh, I can't take this king on. And so he just uh, submitted under this king, Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, all we have is yours. And I'm scared of you, and I don't want to be intimidated anymore. So what did Nebuchadnezzar do? But he not only took the king Jeconiah, but he also took all the the skilled craftsmen and all the highly educated people of of Jerusalem and of of Israel. And he took them into his city to build his own kingdom and make it stronger in Babylon. He didn't take Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was left behind in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah wrote these, this letter to encourage the, the people of God who were now living in a foreign land in Babylon. These people, I can only imagine, they were probably scared, they didn't like living there, And after all, verses 8 and 9, if you continue reading this chapter, you'll see that there were false prophets and teachers who were telling them wrong messages. They were saying, by the way, this is only a short season in your life. You're going to return back to Jerusalem very soon, and you're going to be at peace. Jeremiah corrected that false teaching, and he said, no, you're not. You're not going to be at peace. You're in a foreign land, and you need to make the most of where you are now because it's going to be a long time. Jeremiah prophesied it was going to take 70 years for them to be in this foreign land. And so, as the believers were in a foreign land that they really didn't like and they weren't excited about living in, Jeremiah said, I want you to to make it your home, and I want you to do three things to make it your home. First, I want you to be a presence in the community. Second, I want you to bring peace to the community. And third, I want you to pray for the prosperity for the community. The first thing that Jeremiah told the people who were living in a foreign land to do is he said, I want you to be a presence in the community. In other words, I I don't want you to just live there and and just kind of be, have one foot in and one foot out. I want you to be invested in Babylon. Whether you like it or not, this is the place that God had sent you. After all, it said it here. God sent you as missionaries in exile living here. And I want you to grow where you're planted. I want you to settle down and make Babylon your home. No more renting. I want you to do a few things. First, I want you to build houses and get settled. Second, I want you to build businesses, plant gardens, eat the food around. And third, I want you to start families. And don't just start families, get big families, multiply so you can have greater impact in this non-Christian, we would say today, world. I want you to make a great impact in the world that you're living in. Now, as I uh, was thinking about this first, I couldn't help but think about our day today. And a few years ago, I heard Dave Ramsey quote that the average worker in America stays in their job for two and a half years. Two and a half years. We live in a transient mobile world where you can kind of go anywhere and travel anywhere and you may even have to move around every few years with your job or you just choose to do so. What I would encourage you to do if all means necessary, if you're able to do it, is to be at a place for a season, for a long season and settle down. Stay planted there and make it your home. Because the problem is, is if you're moving around every three or four years, are you able to really impact that community in which God has planted you in? Again, some of you, you have to move. Some of you take better opportunities. I get it. But I would encourage you to really think through your own life and say, okay, where would God have me be for a long season? And how can I invest in the place where I am? Uh, This week, I had the privilege of going to Washington, D.C. I got to go to the Pentagon and the White House, and and I got to go and tour the the Capitol. And as I went to the Capitol, I was blown away, as our tour guide was just telling us all about it. I was not only blown away by all the Christian uh, symbols of the Capitol and of our history, but I was blown away by these certain statues of people who have lived before us. And I came across a man I had never heard about. Uh, His name was Crawford Long from the state of Georgia. And I came across the statue and I just was reading that in a minute and I realized, whoa, this is kind of cool. I think he was a believer. And then I did some homework and I realized that Crawford Long, he, he grew up in a small town in Georgia and then he felt called to be a doctor. And so at a young age, at age 14, he graduated high school and then he went off to, to college in Athens. And then after he graduated his undergrad, he then went to get his master's and Transil- was a place called Transylvania. While he was in, 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 there, while he was there, he observed a doctor who who was operating on people without giving them anesthesia. And he saw the pain and the agony that these people were enduring. And he said, I wanna be able to help these people who are struggling. And so... Uh, After a year of being at Transylvania College in Kentucky, he then felt like he needed to further his education uh, by going to the University of Pennsylvania. And it was there where he was exposed to some of the most advanced medical technology of his time in the year 1839. After he finished his doctorate, he then did an 18-month internship in New York. And then he decided to go back to Georgia and to be planted there, to settle down in Georgia. He and his brother, they ended up starting a medical practice there. He ended up starting a pharmacy. And guess what? He was able to discover. Anesthesia. He was the first one to bring it about. He was able to help people have tumor remove tumors. He was, a, he was able to help women give birth. So some of you ladies that had that when you gave birth, give thanks to Crawford Long. He even died of a stroke after he helped a woman in labor after giving her anesthesia. You know what I loved about Crawford Long as I studied him is he saw his ministry or his work and profession as a ministry. And even on that statue, it read that he said, my profession is to me a ministry from God. He said his highest ambition was to do good and leave the world better by his labors. And boy, did he help us today. I've had surgery, I went under, I'm thankful for Crawford Long, how about you? Well, Crawford Long, he saw it as a calling, a ministry from God, and he wanted to impact his community. And as a result, he landed in Georgia, he stayed in Georgia, and now the state of Georgia is recognizing him as one of their heroes. You know, the other thing that he did, he and his wife, Caroline, what they did, they had 12 children, and they served the community well by multiplying and having those babies what about you have you settled down here in Knoxville for those of you that aren't born and raised here like me I love this place my blood runs orange it's not red it's orange because I'm a big Tennessee fan because I'm from here some of you maybe have come here from California the last month or two or you may have just moved here a little while I would encourage you if this isn't your homeland make it your homeland settle here settle down here After all, I believe that's what Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians 7, where he was referring to the people by settling down and making it their home. He said, brothers, in whatever condition each has called, let him remain with God. So have you settled here? And if you have, are you asking these questions? What are the practical needs around you that are going unmet? Or where in this community is your influence as a Christian needed most? Again, ask yourself this question. Have I made Knoxville in this area my home? And if I have, what are the needs around me that are going unmet? And where in this community is my influence as a Christian needed most? As part of our strategy The elders of this church, we we wanted to focus on helping create multiple outreach opportunities for you to not only invest in our church, but also invest in our local and global community. And I'm pleased to say that we've offered a number of ways for you to serve our community locally. We've offered ways to serve downtown Carm. We've offered ways to build ramps for the disabled in our community. We've offered ways to help single-parent families. We even helped start Renew Clinic. Renew Clinic was part of our strategy that you see here and you read about. A few years ago, some of you know the story. We had local leaders come to several of us pastors and they said, we have a drug and opioid crisis on our hands and we don't know how to solve this problem. We need the church's help. So after that meeting, 10 of us pastors gathered together. We created the Knox County Church Network and we said, we don't know what to do, but our leaders are telling us to do something. So by golly, we gotta do something. So after about a year of praying and research and getting the right people on the bus, we were able to start Renew Clinic. It's now functioning downtown uh, Knoxville off Western Avenue. We have a few staff members sitting with us today who are members of this church, and they're investing in many lives. I was told, I think around 80% of the people, roughly, who have gone through are still sober. Uh, People have come to faith. They're now involved in churches. We have volunteers from each of our churches who are coaching uh, these participants who are going through Renew Clinic, and many of them are now sober. And their families are thriving. It's because of your efforts that helped us create Renew Clinic. And part of our strategic plan is every year in these three years, we want to we accomplish one big, hairy, audacious goal. And that big goal was Renew Clinic from 2019 to 2020. And by God's grace, we were able to see it happen. And they're doing exceptionally well. We've also not only given you many opportunities to serve our community, but we've also sent several of our members uh, to full-time missions work. I think about Garrett Tucker, who's here, who's going back to Ephraim next week. I think about the Rogers, who are in Utah now. I think about the Ashley family of six who have gone to Athens, Greece full-time. God placed on their hearts a desire to reach the nations, and we've been able to send them by God's grace to not only impact this nation but the world around us. We're supporting 27 missionaries and have given around $300,000 towards a global effort. That's you, right? We're impacting the world through that and through you. Part of our strategy is to create new partnerships with local nonprofits who are doing great work in our community and unfortunately, trafficking is plaguing our community and our nation. And we know even with Watt Road right next to us, it's happening right in our backyard. It's, it's horrible. It's an atrocity. It's traumatic. And so we've got to do something to combat trafficking. And so I want to show you a video now from Dave Forbes and Devin Payne, who is the director of Street Hope, and they'll tell you about how we are now partnering with this ministry to combat trafficking.
3: Christ Covenant Outreach Ministry. We uh, p- partner with several different nonprofit uh, organizations in the area. Today, I'm excited to have Street Hope, Tennessee with us. And Devin Payne is the executive director of Street Hope, Tennessee. So why don't you give us a general overview of Street Hope, Tennessee for our congregation?
4: Yes, we are a faith-based, or we like to say Christ-centered counter-trafficking organization. And we focus on eliminating the sexual exploitation and trafficking of kids and providing safe environments to foster healing and hope through Jesus Christ. The Street Hope Tennessee was actually formed by churches here in Knoxville um, in 2012 who heard about trafficking and said, you know, this isn't just happening overseas. This isn't just taking the movie. This is it's happening here in our state and even in our city and our neighborhoods. And um, This is a body of Christ problem because God has called us to this thing. Um, And so they formed Street Hope. We come alongside and we provide awareness, prevention, restoration, and then prayer. Um, We focus on awareness because we believe that more adults, caregivers, teachers, law enforcement, educated to identify trafficking and exploitation leads to more kids being identified. Um, and more kids being helped, and so that is huge. Um, We focus on prevention education, so we actually work with the school systems, um, youth groups, things like that, to educate kids on um, what trafficking is, and we specifically work with them on internet safety education, um, because a lot of exploitation today begins online. Um, So we do that, and then we focus on restoration. Uh, We operate Garland Oaks, which is the first safe home in East Tennessee for girls, for kids in general, but this is for girls ages 12 to 17 who are survivors of trafficking. Um, and then, lastly, we focus on prayer because while awareness, prevention, and restoration are all really important things, trafficking is a sin problem. It's a heart problem, and God's the only one that can bring it into that. And He He says that when He changes the hearts of kings, like channels of water. Um, But he also says that if his people who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven, forgive our sin and and heal our land. And we believe that, and so we do it.
3: (laughs) That sounds great. Now tell us a little bit about how Christ's covenant could serve your ministry.
4: So um, we say give, pray, serve, share. So um, giving is important for us. We have um, around 20 church partners in general, but an array of people that give specifically to our ministry to help sustain us because we don't take any federal or government funding. So that's one way. Um, prayer, like we just talked about, we host prayer gatherings at our office um, the second Tuesday every month at, or second Thursday every month at 9 a.m our Street Hope office and um, we pray on behalf of the afflicted and the brokenhearted and even the perpetrators because God says he can change their hearts um, and then serving we have many volunteer opportunities now especially that the home is open um, at Garland Oak specifically uh, we're looking for women that would love to commit to coming to the house once a month um, at least um, to serve the girls whether that's through Teaching electives, or you know, we teach them independent living skills and cooking and laundry. Um, Specifically, one big need we have right now is women who are willing to volunteer or commit to coming to do an overnight shift once a month alongside a Garland Oaks staff member. Um, They would be awake all night long, (laughs) Um, but we really have a need for that. Um, right now so that's a big one and then um, and you can actually find out more information at our streethoptn.org website there's a volunteer portal there and working at Garland Oaks requires a background check as well as some pretty extensive um, volunteer training but you can find that information on the website and then lastly we say share and so we say if you want to get involved in the counter-trafficking movement the first thing you need to do is get trained. <laughs> you need to learn to identify and report trafficking before it begins, before you can even advocate for it. So get trained, schedule training, attend a training, um, and then share, and then that that makes you an advocate for us, and, and that's more valuable than, than anything you could do at the beginning for the most part.
3: Uh, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm just happy to announce that September will be Street Hope Tennessee Month at Christ's Covenant. And we're going to offer a couple of things to boost that ministry. On September the 7th, we're going to have internet safety training for the parents of Christ's Covenant. Also, we will have a special luncheon that we're going to serve for the staff members at Garland Oaks. And it's important for us as a church to support them because what they're doing is very difficult in many ways. And lastly, we'll be providing some information throughout the month about this incredible ministry. So thank you so much for being with us today, Devin. We really appreciate what you're doing.
4: We appreciate you all.
0: Well, I wanna thank David Forbes and our outreach team for all their efforts this past year and creating multiple outreach opportunities for us to serve our community. And also for establishing new partnerships like that of Street Hope. I've got three girls. Uh, I know a lot of you have girls or boys. uh, Whatever gender, bring them. Or not don't bring them, but come to the parenting seminar, I mean. Because you need to go. You need to go to the parenting seminar on September 7th to learn about this issue. And uh, get involved in the month of September. Well, the other day I was driving and I came across a squirrel. And you know when you drive and you almost hit a squirrel, what the squirrel does or a rabbit they, they go the way that you don't want them to go, and they don't really go where you want them to go, and then they're just kind of frantically moving around. You don't, you're just doing everything you can not to hit the squirrel or the rabbit. Well, that's how I feel like our culture is going. I feel like our culture is one direction and the next, and you really can't follow it, and you're just worried you're going to hit it, right? Because it's constantly changing. And so as we think about that idea, I want to go back to Jeremiah 29 and the second thing Jeremiah told us to do and not just we are to establish a presence in the community, but we are to bring peace to our community. Verse seven, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of the city of where I sent you into exile. Jeremiah was saying, okay, believer, you're now in a place you don't really want to be, but go ahead and make it your home and not only make it your home, but seek the peace of it. Seek the welfare. the welfare. The word welfare means shalom. Uh, shalom is a comprehensive peace. It means order, harmony, happiness. It means that all is right within the city. So even though it seems like even we're living in a time where it's not a Christian society anymore necessarily or dominated by Christians, we often feel like we're strangers living in a foreign land. We are to make uh, an impact in this community that we find ourselves in. And as the community continues to drift and the society drifts away from the Lord, we are to bring peace. We are to bring bring harmony, happiness, structure, because after all, we have the Prince of Peace who provides that. I'm blown away by the number of suicides that are happening in the military and our community that I'm hearing about. I'm blown away by the amount of people who are coming to counseling who, who are depressed, who are struggling with anxiety disorders, mental disorders, you name it. I know of counseling offices that are full because people are hurting so our our second big goal that we wanted to accomplish to bring peace in this community was to build a counseling center and i'm pleased to say that this year our goal was to build a counseling center by middle to end of october it will be built we will have a counseling center at christ covenant to bring peace in a world of chaos does that excite you or what (laughs) <laughs> that's exciting we praise the lord for that that's how we can be a part of 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 seeking the welfare in the city and bringing and promoting peace and so i want you to hear from our director of counseling himself jim cofield he's going to tell us a vision of this counseling center
5: oh hi i didn't see you there come on in this is my new office well Really, this is not quite the office that it's gonna be by the end of this year. You're in the warehouse area of the church that's now being transformed into really three different things. There'll be a large classroom to the far side that we'll use for prime time and Sunday school and it's really very much needed in the church. And, and then there'll be a studio on the, on the other side that will be used for audio and video and where I guess we're using it for a studio right now where you're looking at right now this will be the counseling center and uh, the church had a vision had a plan had a had a dream that it would open up a counseling center this year and we're we're on schedule this will be my office and uh, there'll be an office there and as you can see through these different places there'll be three offices for counselors and this should be done by the end of the year so we're right on line in terms of our goal you know I think it's important that Christ Covenant Church be known as a place where people, when they're hurting, can go and find, ultimately find Christ, but that can find help, find people that care. You know, sometimes when somebody's in trouble, they've lost faith and they've lost hope. What we should be as a Christian community is a place to let people borrow faith and hope from us. So that's what I hope this Counseling Center will be. I look forward to welcoming you here by the end of the year when everything's finished and and it really is an office with walls. Um, More than that though, I look forward to being seen in this community as a place where people can go when they're struggling, when things aren't working, when when they need help. Thanks so much for all your sacrifice and what you've given to the church in order to provide this and, and all the other things that we're doing here in the community, thanks. Well, we praise the Lord for that.
0: That's exciting. Again, our big year or our big goal this year was to build a counseling center. It will be built by the end of this year. Thanks to all of your gifts and all of your support. And we will have a ribbon cutting ceremony uh, here when it is built. And our goal is to hire a few counselors under Jim's supervision. And we're going to help promote the welfare and the peace of this community even more uh, than what even Jim's providing now. He's done so much. And by the way, it was his birthday yesterday. So rag him about it at the end of the service. Happy late birthday, Jim. But we're so excited about Jim's leadership and about the Counseling Center that uh, we we will have a ribbon cutting for very soon. So how do we impact our homeland now where we are? Well, first, we become a presence in our community. Second, we bring peace to our community. And third and finally, we pray for the prosperity for our community. This is the most important thing to do is prayer. And by the way, this plan is covered with prayer. We prayed for months as we put it together, and we're still praying. And I would encourage if you're not in a prayer group to jump in one because prayer is what fuels the ministry Without prayer, we wouldn't have been able to accomplish the building of a counseling center or the starting of a new clinic. But it's prayer that fuels the ministry, it fuels it. Uh, verse seven, Jeremiah went on to say, Pray to the Lord on the city's behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. There's an ancient proverb that states that a rising tide lifts all boats. A rising tide will lift all boats. What that is saying in this context is, as the city does well, so we will do well. As good things happen in our city and in our community, good things will happen for us in the church and for our churches. And so we need to pray for prosperity, for the success of our leaders in our community, for the success of our schools and our businesses and our churches in our community. Prayer is what fuels the ministry, and I'm not going to go through all this, but Psalm 122 is a wonderful prayer that we can pray for our community. It was a prayer that the people of God did for the city of Jerusalem, and it reads, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you, peace within your walls and security within your towers for my brothers and companions' sake. I will say, peace be within you, the city. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. I would encourage you to write this prayer down and pray this prayer for the prosperity of the city because after all, a rising tide will lift all boats. So if you're not praying for our leaders, do so. If you're not praying for our local, our local schools and churches, do so. If you're not praying for our neighborhoods, do so. Don't just pray for the things happening at Christ's covenant. Pray for our community and pray specifically for the things in our community that we would see success and and, and prosperity in the days to come. I've heard it said that prayer moves the hand that moves the world. In order for things to, 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 to be on the upswing, we need to pray because as we pray to the Almighty One, He will do incredible things. And speaking of prayer, the last thing I want to end it with is this. I want us to pray for this coming year and the big goal that your church leaders sees that God has in store for us as a church to accomplish. And that big goal for 2023 is for us to hire a church planter so that we can go and plant a church in this community. Why do we want to focus on church planting? Well, the other day, I was talking to a realtor in this church, and she was telling me that Knoxville is the 12th fastest growing city in America. Let me say that again. Knoxville is the 12th fastest growing city in America. Whether we want it to grow or not, it's happening. It's happening. You can just feel it as you're driving down Kingston Pike. And as you're on the interstate, I say it every day to my wife, we need to expand these roads. Why? Because we're busting up out the seams. People are coming here, mainly from California, but we're having people. If you're from, well, if you're from California, welcome. We're glad you're here. <laughs> but the reality is, is we're having people everywhere coming to Knoxville. It's happening. And so because it's happening, what do we need to do? We need to plant a church. We need to find an area where they are experiencing, where it's experiencing tremendous growth and future growth, and we need to get ahead of it. We need to hire a person who's like-minded, and we need to get some of you to join him and his family and go to that community. I'm not about building a megachurch here, and neither are our church leaders. We're about expanding God's kingdom. And so what better way to do that than to bring in a church planter and say, here's some people, here's some resources, and we're here to help you, but go, go, go. And so I hope by this time next year, we'll have the man for you and say, here's our church planter, and we have identified a place, and we're going to start coming up with a plan to send him and some of you out to go and plant a church. I don't want to share any more of the vision because Andy Halbert needs to share it. So we're going to hear from Andy Halbert. Continues to bless our church. It is exciting to know that
6: the first and second goals of our 2020-2023 ministry strategy are either accomplished or well underway. The third goal that was established for this last year of the three-year plan is to create a church planting plan that could include partnering with other PCA churches and hiring a church planting apprentice with the goal of launching a church in our community by the end of 2023. About 18 months ago, we formed a committee to begin constructing this plan. Since then, this four-member committee has spent a great deal of time in prayer. We have also started thinking through the details of how we believe God is instructing us to move forward. As we began to assign importance to the core components of any church that Christ's covenant would plant, it became clear that there are three ways, at least, that we could move forward. We could plant a church that looks like Christ's covenant and serves the same demographics. We could plant a church that looks like the demographic of the area it serves, or we could look at the need to help plant a cross-cultural church. While our session hasn't made any final decisions, the committee believes that we can pursue two of these opportunities simultaneously. We believe that we should pursue a traditional church plant. To that end, the session will decide on a location, hire a church planting apprentice, and possibly partner with other like-minded churches to get the church started. At the same time, we've been very burdened by the tremendous opportunity presented by immigrants coming to East Tennessee. People from all over the world are already here and will continue to come. We cannot simply ignore this God-ordained opportunity for us to minister to this population. Since many of these new neighbors are Hispanic, We are thinking through a culturally sensitive plan that would allow us to help strengthen and encourage already existing churches and pastors and potentially see a new church planted in this demographic. There is no doubt that from a biblical perspective, God not only intends, but he expects and commands us to leave our comfort and our security and get out into the world and multiply. With that in mind, we would ask you to pray for two things. First off, that God would enable us to accomplish these opportunities. And secondly, that God would begin to prepare each of our hearts to play the role that he would have us play in the accomplishment of these church planting goals.